Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Olivia DeBercier. And I'm Sophia Osborne. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at beyondblathers.square.site and take a look at the animal stickers and postcards we have for sale. And also, Olivia was on the awesome podcast Just the Zoo of Us the other day talking about caribou, so you should definitely check that episode out. We'll put the link in the description. Yeah, it was lots of fun to talk to Ellen all about caribou and reindeer, especially because the episode came out on Christmas, so it was very in theme. And yeah, if you haven't checked out their podcast and you are just yearning for more animal podcasts in your life, especially because they do like birds and mammals, which we don't normally do with the exception of today, definitely go check it out. It's a great pod. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, speaking of Christmas, how was your Christmas, Olivia? <laughs> we took a we took a couple weeks off um, yeah. and had some re-releases, so we're excited mm-hmm. to be back with some new content for you. Yeah, it was it was a very crazy two weeks for me because it was like uh, you know exams as per usual and finishing up a bunch of stuff, and I'm moving up north, so. Um. Yeah, it's it's been a really crazy couple of weeks getting all that ready and but it was a really nice Christmas and my family got to spend time together and did some zooming with the extended family which was very chaotic but really fun. I'm not sure if anyone else experienced the chaos of a Zoom Christmas dinner, but Yeah, I feel like that'll be relatable for a lot of people. <laughs> It'll be there's going to be like SNL sketches about it and stuff. It's really cool that yeah, that you're headed up to the Yukon and it's Mm -hmm. really fitting for this week's episode actually. Yeah I'm hoping I can have some cool stories about animals or something to share on here or pictures on our Instagram so definitely give us a follow. I'll I'll try and post cool things up there. Hopefully it's not so cold that all the animals are gone. We'll find out. (laughs) Well maybe they'll start coming back in (laughs) the spring or something. Yeah hopefully in April. I'm I'm crossing my fingers. I desperately want to see caribou. That's my dream so you know, oh, that'd be amazing. Send yeah. me good vibes and we'll manifest some caribou <laughs> for me. I'm sure you'll see like moose and bison and stuff on your drive. Yeah, I, I've been told that that is a very common sight. And in fact, we have to be very careful of bison sleeping in the middle of the road. So <laughs> um, <laughs> hazards in Canada. But I hope you had a good holiday too, Sophia. In Vancouver is much warmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no white Christmas at all. It mm. was very rainy. The days leading up to Christmas were really nice and sunny and, I don't know, frosty, but then Christmas Day, it just poured. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And I had a nice Zoom call with my dad. He was without power for, like, three days leading up to Christmas. But, yeah, luckily it came back on for Christmas Day and, but his phone was still out on Christmas Day, so we, yeah, we had to do a Zoom call and Yeah, it's pretty wild on Saturna in the winter. (laughs) So with all that said, I suppose we should talk about our special animal today. So this week we have something special for you. We're going to be talking about the snowy owl and Sophia is going to be taking over today and giving us all of that juicy info. Yeah, this is kind of different. Please don't get mad at us considering (laughs) this isn't um, an insect, fish or fossil technically. It's not something you can catch in the game, but it does appear on top of the bulletin board by resident services sometimes. So I think it's still fair game to cover it. Like, it it is in New Horizons. And I think every single person has tried many times to catch that bird. (laughs) <laughs> like I every time I pass it I'm like maybe it's like an easter egg if you catch it at a certain time but I haven't managed it so 
what would happen if you brought <laughs> it to Blathers? You'd just be, You'd like, just be uh, like, my brethren, no. Yeah. Especially because, as we'll get into, snowy owls are very large, and they're actually larger than great horned owls, which is what Blathers is. So. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. People think they're a similar size, but apparently they're larger in kind of every way that we quantify size. Okay, wait. Are they heavier? Yeah, apparently. Heavier, longer. I'm so shocked. Longer wingspan. I I was convinced that great horned owls were the largest owls in North America. How cool. Wow, that must be another stat I'm thinking of about great horned owls. I'm totally wrong. (laughs) They definitely have bigger horns. (laughs) (laughs) The the owls with the biggest horns in North America. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to talk about them. It's very fitting for this very wintry time. So usually we would see what Blathers has to say about this animal when you catch it and bring it to him. But I guess he doesn't have anything to say. So we're going to move on from that. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, Olivia, what you know or what preconceptions you have about Snowy Owl. And also I was wondering if you've ever seen one. Yes, I, I. the last time I saw a snowy owl, there's been one hanging around my house. I haven't seen it yet this year, or this season, I guess. I saw one on my birthday last year, like literally two days before quarantine, like shut the world down. It was like, oh, wow. yeah, like my boyfriend and I were driving and I all I saw was like a lamppost and a silhouette on the lamppost. And I was like, it's an owl, Max, you need to like turn around right now. We are <laughs> stopping this car. And he did. And, and it was. I was right. And I was really proud of that I saw it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, it was a very exciting moment. So that was in... It was, that was in March. That was okay, in March. yeah. Yeah. So... Oh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully it's not an omen for me. I don't know. That date is, was really it'd be, good. It's a good omen. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cool omen. I have never seen a snowy owl in person, but it was really interesting to learn more about them. I think everyone kind of knows that snowy owls are really beautiful. Like, I think they're just one of the most beautiful birds, really. They're this very pure white, like he said. It's actually, I read it, that it's a pure white than predatory mammals you find in the Arctic, like polar bears and Arctic foxes. Yeah. Which makes sense, because I feel like polar bears are actually a bit more yellow than you think they are. Yeah, well, there's that, like, fact people like to tell where their hair is actually transparent. It's not white like it's got no pigment to it it's just that like can pass right through it yeah whereas like snowy owls are just so starkly white like snowy Mm -hmm. white (laughs) and interestingly there's a difference between the males and females and i wonder olivia whether the one that you saw on your birthday whether you know whether it was like a male or female i don't it was really far away like it was it was on a lamppost so i was and it was nighttime so i was like peering up at it (laughs) Yeah, because yeah. I actually think this is like, I'm not into birding. I know you are, but sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference between males and females. I mean, sometimes it's easy depending on how different they are. But with snowy owls, I didn't realize, but the males usually have fewer dark spots than the females. Oh. So I, literally the way I thought of this was like I looked up Hedwig <laughs> from Harry Potter because she's a female snowy owl and she has that kind of like when you think of a snowy owl like you think of that those dark spots on their feathers and stuff like it kind of looks like like a stone that has snow on it you know is that why they have it like is it a camouflage technique if they're laying their eggs 
Um, I'm not sure if it's with the laying the eggs, but I think that the the dark spots because it's not like the males don't have any dark spots. They usually do. It's just the females have hmm. more. And yeah, snowy owls in general spend a lot of time on the ground. So a lot of times they're camouflaging to look like rocks or like a hay bale or something. And the other thing is that females are usually quite a bit larger than the males, hmm. which I always love to see. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Power um, to the girls. I thought that was cool to sort of, they call that sexual dimorphism. And then, yeah, un- unlike a lot of other owls, snowy owls really don't have very big ear tufts. So like we were talking about with Blathers being a great horned owl, you know, you've got those big ear tufts, hence the great horns. And snowy owls, they don't look like they have ear tufts at all. Like it looks like they just have like a dome head. Yeah. But actually, apparently they do. They're just really small. So Interesting. That's kind of so they're just fact. kind of reduced into yeah. that. Yeah. Because, yeah, when you look at them, they look so smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't look like they have horns. And then also snowy owls have really piercing yellow eyes. And they actually can't move their eyes around in the sockets. Like, they can't really look left or right without moving their head. They have to, you know, turn their head around, and that's why you get the (laughs) swiveling heads, 360 degrees kind of creepy thing that owls can do. Yeah, and kind of to add to that fact, so they can turn their head like three quarters of the way around, um, and so it kind of gives that illusion of turning it all the way around. And the reason they can't move their eyes is because their eyes are tube-shaped rather than orbs like ours are Um, Mm. and so that's the case with I'm pretty sure all if not most owls I feel like there's always an exception so I say most but uh, yeah that's an owl feature so even things like burrowing owls or great horned owls they also have eyes like that so if you look at a a skull of an owl if you ever have that opportunity you'll notice that the eye sockets kind of have a, a pinch in the middle which is just an interesting owl feature that you should check out because it's really interesting and apparently that helps them see further or something along those lines it improves their vision in some way yeah thank you that's a helpful fact check that they cannot in fact just completely swivel their heads their heads would completely pop off which they yeah it's big no don't like that (laughs) yeah the other thing about snowy owls which we talked about a bit earlier is that they're really big they're the largest flying predator in the high arctic and one of the largest species of owl in the world. They kind of range from like second to seventh largest, depending on <laughs> what metric you're going with. Yeah. And yeah, females can have a five to six foot wingspan, which is pretty big. <laughs> and like we talked about, their whole appearance is really all about doing a great job camouflaging in the snow because a lot of times they're sitting in the tundra and then, yeah, you see them and they just look like a rock. So where would you find snowy owls? I know we have them here where I live, but what's their range? Yeah, it's a good question because I always assumed that they had a pretty limited range just because they're snowy owls, (laughs) but they actually have a pretty large range that really varies depending on the year and also the owl. Like they don't have a really set imprinted migration pattern or anything. They kind of go where their whims take them and where the prey is. So in the summer, they've been found to nest in kind of all over the upper northern hemisphere. So Scotland, Greenland, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, North Russia, Alaska, the Yukon, Nunavut, along Hudson's Bay, northern Manitoba, Labrador. 
Holy smokes. So <laughs> kind of all over. I didn't know. Up. I just assumed they were a Canadian animal. I didn't. It didn't occur to me that you would also find them in like Scotland or yeah, like you can Norway. find them in Europe. Yeah, it's, that's so cool. And Russia. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then things kind of change in the winter. Their range extends, and that's when you see them in BC, Alberta, Nova Scotia, and even into sort of the upper U.S. So that kind of makes sense that you saw one in March. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because Alberta is really cold and Edmonton <laughs> is, really is very cold. north. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, from what I've heard, like they don't always come into Edmonton so much. Like a lot of them, if it's warm enough further north, they'll hang out there. Or if there's like enough food, it's, they're usually pretty, um, from what I've heard from other birders, they seem to just sort of follow where the mice are. So if there's, you know, they're, they're easily able to find mice further north, they're going to hang out there, but otherwise they come further south. Yeah, it's really interesting because they can withstand extreme cold. They've been recorded in temperatures as low as minus 62.5 degrees Celsius <laughs> with no obvious discomfort. That's insane. Yeah. Wait, we need to know what that is in Fahrenheit for other people. Oh, yeah, true. Because I just, I need everyone to know what a ridiculous temperature that is. That's like inconceivably cold. Holy smokes. Wait, what what was the number again? It was 60 minus 62.5. Negative 80.5 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So really cold. And apparently that was like no discomfort that the scientists could see. So yeah. And I didn't realize, but they're apparently the most well insulated bird on the planet apart from the Adelaide penguin. Whoa. I didn't even like, yeah, that they would be as well insulated as most penguins. penguins. Yeah. And that's something that's like going into ice cold water. Mm hmm. That's amazing. They can apparently swim. They don't, they don't often swim, but they can. Oh, that's (laughs) cool. They've been seen to swim. Yeah. That makes me think of like the bald eagle that was swimming and it was like attacked by an octopus. Does anyone know that video? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway. That's a YouTube search for you. The Spoiler alert, the bald eagle is fine, I think, <laughs> if I'm recalling correctly. It's cool because, yeah, they live in this just extreme environment and they're so well adapted to it. And like, I think this is so cute. If, it, if it's really windy, like a, you know, icy cold wind, they'll often take shelter behind like a big rock or a hay mm. bale or something and like, I don't know, shelter behind it to block themselves <laughs> from the cold. So yeah, they're they're pretty cool. But talking about their range, the interesting thing is that sometimes we get these mass southern migration events where snowy owls will show up in huge droves in the southern US, like Georgia, Kentucky, South what? Carolina. Yeah, like very south. That's crazy. Yeah, and then speaking of Europe, we see the same phenomenon in Europe sometimes where the snowy owls will have these eruption events in the Mediterranean. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine you're like in Greece on a beach and there's just like a snowy <laughs> owl flies by? And you're like, where's Harry Potter? <laughs> I would be so confused. Scientists aren't like totally sure why these events happen, but they think it's due to good breeding conditions that year that result in more juveniles migrating. So yeah, I don't, I had no idea that they had that kind of range. Neither did I. I actually watched this really cool video from NPR 
where scientists gave, um, I think it was a, a few different snowy owls, but one of them was called Baltimore. And they gave him a little, like, literally a backpack with a <laughs> solar panel on it. Like, it literally, like, went around his wings, I think, and it was, like, on his back. It was really cute. And this NPR journalist followed Baltimore all the way up from Maryland through all these different spots along the way. There was a point even when Baltimore landed on, like, the rooftop of a huge building in New York City. The journalist was up there, and it was really cool. And Yeah, and he followed him all the way up to an island in Ontario called Amherst, which it seems is a very popular spot for snowy owls. Like, it's a small island, but they said in their Christmas bird count that year, this was a few years ago, that they'd counted, like, 20 snowy owls that year. So, and he was driving around trying to identify which one was Baltimore and just, like, is that Baltimore? And then, like, they'd zoom in and be like, it's not Baltimore. But <laughs> also, spoiler alert, he found Baltimore at the end and it was very cute. Oh, I think it's so cool that we can even track these animals like that. One one research project I would love to do is, like, learn more about the technology of GPS on animals and satellite trackers and things like that. And I know there's, like, a lot of questions as to, like, how do they affect the animal? You know, what's changes in behavior how they're perceived by their peers i guess in a social system but oh man i i get really excited about that kind of research just because it's so it just seems like you're diving into an animal's life in a way that we couldn't a hundred years ago i was kind of surprised about the backpack because i don't know why they wouldn't just do like a leg tag or something like backpack seems pretty like it it could interfere, you know? Yeah, the the thing with the leg tags is it's more of a, like, if that animal is caught again, then you can report mm. it. So it's not, at least the ones I've seen don't necessarily have, like, a satellite tracker in them. It, it right. Basically, the, the size of, usually, the size of the tracker will indicate, like, the power of the tracking ability. So they couldn't have like followed it around if it was just like a tag unless they had like a visual on it the whole time like it would have been helpful for instance on that island maybe to be like oh yeah that's baltimore it's got you know an orange tag or whatever but yeah it's it's more it's it's a cheaper technique but it also gives you less information Uh, anyway that's the best of my understanding i'm sure there's probably more details i don't know about it but taking an ornithology course next semester so hopefully i'll know more about that Awesome. Anyway, but it's it's uh, this sounds amazing, and I had no idea snowy owls could be found all over. Now, if someone wanted to spot a snowy owl, if they were an avid birder or an amateur birder, where should they look? Yeah, so I didn't really realize this, but snowy owls are not adapted for hanging out in trees like a lot of other owls. I guess when I think of looking for owls, I usually think of like looking up in the trees. But yeah, the tundra doesn't have a lot of trees. <laughs> So snowy owls have short stubby legs and they like the flat open landscape of the tundra or other landscapes that sort of mimic that. So they're drawn to places like the prairies, coastal flats. And then the other interesting thing is that we as humans are actually creating more and more of the habitat that snowy owls like. Things like agriculture fields, golf courses, and cleared forests. And actually, airports are one of the snowy owl's favorite habitats, apparently, because they 
are, yeah, they're so flat and, you know, they've got that grass around the tarmac and they're very open and apparently there's actually a lot of prey for them that they can find there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's yeah. similar to where I, I've seen snowy owls is right by large fields. <laughs> Nothing but mice and voles for them to eat. Yeah, and so you'll want to look for snowy owls during winter, probably, unless you're in the high Arctic. So, Olivia, you can look <laughs> for them in the summer, I guess. But mainly, yeah, you'll you'll be looking in the winter in fields, shorelines, and scan snowy flat areas and be on the lookout for any irregularities in the snow what you think is just like a snowy lump or a dirty patch could be a snowy owl facing away from you. And they do also like to perch in conspicuous areas. So you want to check high points like hay bales, fence posts, telephone poles, buildings, or grain elevators, which I've seen in some videos. And then I also read that you should look for agitated birds because other raptor circles may swoop at a snowy owl sitting on a beach or that kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's excellent birding advice. I remember one time I was at the lake I was working at and oh man, the swallows just suddenly went nuts. And there were always swallows around and they all just started chirping like crazy. And I looked up and I saw my first kestrel, which is like a small, beautiful little like a falcon, a small falcon, and it was stunning. And I wouldn't have noticed it if not for the swallows just absolutely losing it. So that's very good advice. Yeah. <laughs> Look for the prey. To the yeah. Other birds. Yeah. Like, what are they doing? You never know what you'll see. So, speaking of prey, though, and agitated prey, what are snowy owls eating? Yeah. So, one really cool thing about snowy owls is that they're cathemeral, which means that they are active whenever not just day or night. So they're they're not nocturnal. Although when I think of owls, I always think of them as being nocturnal. But yeah, they're cathemeral. And their main prey is lemmings, which are little rodents kind of like voles or like large mice, I guess. And they're also cathemeral. So yeah, they have this really close relationship with lemmings. Like if you've ever seen the predator prey graph that they show in sort of basic ecology classes mm-hmm. where like you've got those two sort of lines going up or down and, and they're very closely following each other that relationship like it's like um what have i seen it for like wolves and and rabbits or something or uh, lynx and rabbit is like the textbook definition where when the population of rabbits is really high up so up on the graph the lynx one um immediately follows going really high up and then eventually that'll force the rabbit population down or it might get forced down but for another reason and the lynx population will follow like immediately after so it's a very like in sync graph exactly so that's exactly what this is like so when lemming populations are doing well snowy owl populations are going to be doing well and vice versa and actually in years where there are low lemming populations often snowy owls won't even mate. Like, they won't even find a mating partner. <laughs> they don't even try. They're yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh, bad Not year. worth my time. <laughs> yeah. So they're very closely tied together. But at the same time, snowy owls will hunt other prey, including other rodents, like you said, Olivia, like voles, and then even birds like ducks and other seabirds. And they'll even sometimes eat beetles, crustaceans, amphibians or even like those scavenge carrion so they're quite opportunistic in terms of what they eat that's like our favorite word on this podcast we love our opportunistic (laughs) animals Mm -hmm. they're just jumping at the opportunity to eat anything 
Yeah, but it's really cool because the way that they're tied to lemmings, like so many of these things that we talked about in terms of their behavior and where they can be found and all of that is tied to lemmings. Like, is it a good year for lemmings? Then you're going to have lots of juveniles and they're going to be maybe having like an eruption event or if it's a bad year for lemmings, they'll be staying further north and there won't be very much breeding going on and stuff. So yeah, it's cool how the food chain affects them so much. But then the other thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of their diet is owl pellets because I remember this so well from my childhood. So if you don't know, owls will swallow their small prey whole and their digestive juices digest the flesh, but then the indigestible parts like the fur, bones, teeth, and feathers will be compacted into these little pellets that like when I've seen them, they look gray. They're like gray fur ball in the shape of like a small egg. And when I was in elementary school, we had this one teacher who really loved owls. And this was actually the same teacher that loved salmon and he would get us to raise salmon. This teacher sounds so cool. (laughs) Yeah, he's so cool. And he would also take us to this owl sanctuary in Vancouver and we'd get to dissect owl pellets and then try to determine what that owl had eaten recently so yeah we'd, we'd find like little rodent jaw bones and feathers and stuff oh that sounds like so much fun as a kid i looked for those a lot and i i never found one yeah apparently they often will leave them all in the same place so maybe one day you'll like stumble, <laughs> like stumble upon, upon a mother load oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolute treasure trove yeah, they. I guess they kind of keep them where they roost, so... That makes sense. So, I mean, we've talked about all the things that they prey on. Now, do they have any predators? They seem pretty big and intimidating. Yeah, they, they're really pretty high up the food chain, but when they're nesting, if they leave the eggs or the chicks unattended, then they could be predated on by jaggers? I've never heard of them, but apparently, yeah, they're a relative of gulls um, or by Arctic foxes. But the adults are usually able to, like, enthusiastically defend their young. So are they doing okay in the wild then? Are there conservation issues we should know about? Yeah, it seems like it's changed rather quickly. I read sort of an older article and it was like, oh, like, the IUCN Red List has them as least concern and I was like that's strange so then I checked and they are now listed as vulnerable which is like considerably further ahead than least concern I like how you're like uh that's not threatened that must be untrue yeah (laughs) like better look deeper into that because it's from the arctic like Uh, this literally has the word snowy in it like (laughs) climate change is going to be an issue yeah but yeah so scientists do think that their numbers are declining a huge part of that is of course human activities because you know you've got collisions of the birds with power lines wire fences automobiles other structures and also airplanes like we said they they like to hang out at airports and that can cause issues in terms of them being killed by planes. And apparently this has happened quite a bit in Canada. So that can definitely lead to mortality with snowy owls. And actually, at one time, hunters used to shoot snowy owls when they would move down from the Arctic, which is now illegal. But 
just like why would you <laughs> just, like they're they're killing lemmings like they're not they're not gonna like steal your cow or something i, I just... guess maybe for like trophy hunting or they look pretty yeah. maybe it was like feathers for hats that used to be a big problem but i don't know so much with owls yeah i'm not I'm glad it's illegal now. <laughs> but then, yeah, like, everything we have to talk about climate change. I think we need to have, like, climate change does it again shirts or something. Like, <laughs> it's just every single time. It's like, it's always the butler, but it's, like, always climate change in yeah. a murder mystery. Like, yeah. It's vibe. it's always climate change. It's always capitalism. Like, <laughs> so, Ooh. yeah. Um, climate change is thought to be the primary driver of the snowy owl's decline at this point. As temperatures continue to rise, factors like increased rain and reduced snow are likely to affect lemming populations, which will of course affect snowy owls, and their range is, is changing. Of course, it's it's shifting higher north, so for now it doesn't seem like a huge issue because their range can shift higher north, but you know, after a certain point, there won't be any more north mm-hmm. to shift to. You know, they, they spend time on places that have, you know, the thick sea ice and that's melting and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's great. It's awesome. Yeah. This is unrelated, but I read that snowy owls were consumed by several Arctic cultures and by more southern cultures back in the day when they were available. So oh, that's really, yeah, that's really interesting. I guess they are big birds, like... It's like a turkey or something. There's probably a lot of meat on there. And then also snowy owls' wings were used as brooms to sweep out igloos, which is pretty cool. Very interesting. I did read one article that was like trying to imply that that was contributing to their decline and saying that like, you know, indigenous people need to like stop hunting snowy owls. And I was just like, can you please stop uh that's such a big red flag on any conservation article i read i'm like oh can i share some other fun owl facts while we're at it because i was just thinking about owls and i just got excited and we're probably not going to be able to talk about owls again on this podcast we could do the great horned owls sometimes since blathers this one yeah okay well maybe this will be repeated facts but i don't care i'm not saving facts here not holding back One of my favorite things is owl wings. So owls have virtually silent flight. And that's because, like, if you think of a pigeon, when a pigeon takes off, it makes a flapping sound. But an owl is going to be pretty much silent, which is bad if you you end up in an owl's territory near its chicks and it gets upset and it whaps you in the back of the head so avoid that if you can if anyone's watched the staircase and knows the owl theory where like basically owls are known to sometimes attack people and it, it's been used as a defense in like this famous case the staircase case anyway all my fellow true crime nerds out there <laughs> know what i'm talking about I, I hope someone knows what that is. I don't. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, well, it's basically like this woman, her husband was accused of killing her, but he says that she fell down the stairs, but she has these like lacerations on the back of her head. And then people were saying that they look like if you compare them to when owls attack people and like grab the back of their head, oh. that it's what that looks like, like the oh, talons. Oh, that's so scary. <laughs> Yeah, because apparently, like, if, if an owl attacks you, it can, it can oh, kill you. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's bad. Well, they're so big, and 
their their claws are incredibly sharp like at the zoo we had um a snowy owl foot as like a preserved specimen for people to touch so that they could see how sharp their talons were and this thing was like gosh it had been sitting in this interpretation closet for many many years who knows how long but extremely like a very long time feathers were getting kind of not looking great um and people were touching it all the time and that talon was razor sharp razor sharp like people like i i had to like warn the little kids like touch very carefully (laughs) you don't want to like really stab your finger but yeah they're they're insane i would not want to mess around with an owl that's why like if you ever see someone holding an owl they've got that really thick leather glove Uh, it's very important yeah i mean speaking of the wings though going back to that owl wings if you think of like a feather it's got that edge along it and on that edge there's like extra little fluffy bits and so what ends up happening is it sort of disperses the air around the feather in such a way that it muffles the sound so if you i always do this demonstration with kids and it's very difficult to explain so i'm going to do my best but if you hold your hand in like a, a high five position your fingers are closed and you kind of flap it right next to your ear i'm doing the motion right now (laughs) obviously no one can see and you flap it right next to your ear and listen really closely you can hear a flapping sound but if you sort of open your fingers and you do the same thing you're not really going to hear anything most likely if you're doing it the exact way (laughs) but so yeah that's basically the function of those fluffy edges to their feathers that make them really really quiet and uh, their feet, too, are covered in feathers, like I mentioned before, with the demonstration snowy owl foot. So it's kind of like having an extra little winter boot on your feet, which is really cute to see. <laughs> you see them like just sitting there or like a picture of them. Another cool fact about owls is that they have amazing hearing, which you might know if you're an owl fan. But the way that they can hear. So imagine like if you look at a person, normally their ears are on the same plane so they're symmetrical on either side but with an owl one is a bit higher than the other and what that does is it basically allows the owl to triangulate sound really precisely which is useful because i mean they're flying around at night they're looking for really small prey and in the case of snowy owls in particular their prey is often under snow so being able to hear exactly where it is is really useful so they can triangulate that sound and really nail down where their prey is and and hunt really effectively and in general all these adaptations they're really really useful because uh owls are the smartest uh which is actually kind of a funny like usually the symbol of an owl like with blathers is like of intelligence and i think this comes from greek mythology like athena had an owl as her symbol Mm -hmm. well and they do have large brains much larger than most birds Mm -hmm. but that doesn't correlate necessarily with intelligence yeah like most i mean again talking about animal intelligence is such a like gray area but in general a lot of people who work with owls (laughs) say that they're not always the brightest but i mean again like birds are are pretty smart (laughs) So I don't know, take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, don't assume that they're like as smart as parrots or crows or magpies or anything like that. So those are my animal facts or my (laughs) owl facts, like reaching back into my memory. Um, The ear thing is so interesting. It's really cool. And you can see it in the skull. Like their ear is just like a little bit off. Wow. I wonder like how that adaptation 
a rose like owls that had ears that were a bit off yeah like slightly did better yeah and then they just got more and more messed up and it's funny because like i don't know you don't really think about bird ears because it's not like any other animal where the ears are really obvious like they're under a layer of feathers and you have to look for them but even the face of their shape is adapted to direct sound towards their ears it's that disc shape and that disc is really good at funneling sound so so much of their body is is morphed into these hunting features it's it's really cool but yeah thank you Sophia for all of that I learned so much especially about their range Oh, I really hope I see some this winter. It would be a lovely treat. Send pictures if you do. <laughs> I will. If I can get a good picture, it'll just be like a lump of snow. I'll be like, I swear it's an owl. <laughs> it's not a rock. <laughs> it's not a rock. Anyway, well, thanks, Sophia. And thanks, everyone, for listening uh, and bearing with us for our two-week break. Please rate and review us. It's the number one thing to get up in the charts. So we are sending a thousand hearts to every single person who rates and reviews us. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. Yeah, and check out our merch store at beyondblathers.square.site. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at beyondblathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Happy New Year. Bye.